Over the last few months, as many of you know, it's, it's still to me amazing that we're watching that and it's not, that's not Houston, right? That's Dayton, Ohio, where that reality is being lived out right now. And you have heroes among you from our disaster response team, Southbrook. They have represented you as the hands and feet of Christ in uh, the lives of so many people. Would you give up thanks to God right now for our, our disaster response team? Absolutely. And your generosity makes that possible. For example, you saw the DRT trailer. Well, we have funded that through our general offerings. We have funded up about $20,000 for that trailer and for it to be fully equipped with tools. Now, I wanted to highlight that because of the symbolism that this body of the carpenter, we have provided tools for the carpenter. Right? Isn't that cool? That we have provided tools for our team to go to work and build something sometimes as simple as a shed in the name of Christ. Jesus said, let your light shine before men and women that they will see your good deeds and glorify my Father who is in heaven. And, and that's what this disaster response team has done. In the last number of months, they've been to Houston twice, North Carolina, West Virginia, Florida on trips. Some of them, while, while the travel expenses are under that uh, are supported by Southbrook, some of them also pay out of their own pocket to fund those travel costs to go into places and serve. And so we, we thank those of you who are part of the DRT. But we thank you, Southbrook, because if you have contributed a dollar to this, you are a part of the hands and feet of Christ meeting people now in our city who have great, 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 great needs. So thank you, thank you. We're going to take up our generosity right now where we pool this together. Hey, we realize a lot of you fund missionaries and movements all around the world, and we love that, but there is a place for the collective body of Christ to be a storehouse where we disseminate out uh, together, and that's what this is all about. We thank you for being a part of that. We also have something coming up this week called Provoke. It's the first Tuesday of every month from 7 to 8 a.m., and it is a leadership training event. If you want to have some life skills that you leave with that you maybe didn't have coming in, be it in the reception hall of Reverie, 7 o'clock Tuesday morning. And remember, next Friday and Saturday is the workshop, the Enneagram workshop, and that's the follow-up to the online course. So Friday night, 6 to 9, and Saturday morning, 9 to 4, in the small theater, you will get uh, further delving into reclaiming your true self. And uh, we want you to do this because we want everyone here to know, kind of have a feel for who you are as uh, we use that as part of our tribal speak to, to position people where they can best be utilized. Well, today you're going to hear from some from special people here at Southbrook uh, as we're into part four of this series facetiously titled, How to Be a Perfect Christian. And if you've seen it on our website, the logo for this series, you can't really see it on the sign behind me, you'll notice that the church sign of how to be a perfect Christian is in front of our building. And the reason is, as we go into next week where we're going to talk about excellence, is here's this place that is attempting to show we care by being excellent, that, that we don't believe that, that just a half-hearted effort 
uh, is spiritual in and of itself. There's nothing spiritual about not doing your best. There's something about saying we care. And, uh, and for example, you can eat off the floors of this place most of the time, the way our campus care team cares for this place. Why? Because they want to communicate, hey, we care. We think that the most important message in the history of the world, the message of Jesus Christ, is being communicated here from cradle to grave. And, and they want to show that, that we care. But what can happen to you is that you walk through those doors and you see this pretty building with all these pretty people and, and, and it just embeds in you, this is another place for me to try to live in perfectionism because many of the things we call religion is just perfectionism dressed up in a three-piece suit and a leather Bible under the arm. What we call religion, my attempts to measure up, is simply another expression of perfectionism. And so we've been in this series about this, this colorless, odorless gas that has especially invaded the suburbs, the land of perfect lawns and perfect looks, and it is a spiritual killer. Uh, perfectionism is not the measles that'll go away. It is actually a cancer of the soul that will get worse if you don't pay attention to it and get healing from it. Yes, it, we're that serious about this. And so we've talked about this mindset called perfectionism that says that only perfection expresses my adequacy. And anything less than perfect, and this leads to perfect, I need perfect context, I need perfect quality, I need perfect quantity for my efforts to be justified and validated. And that's the only way I'm going to be approved as a person taking up air on this planet. And we've been learning, really, this series is about shifting from that to a grace-fueled imperfectionism for your life. And today, we're going to hit the pause button on this. And we're going, to, we're going to stop for a minute and say, no matter where you are in your life right now, there's a place for you to get pastored as you embed your life into this journey. Now, these verses that I'm about to show you could very well be the theme central of this series. So on this penultimate weekend, I want you to see these words from Jesus. He was speaking to an audience very similar to ours in that these were people who had soul fatigue. Their soul fatigue came from an externally imposed religious burden that the religious leaders put on them. They were constantly being told, you don't measure up, you don't measure up, you're not, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And this led to this thing that we call soul fatigue. And Jesus addresses that. You can have body fatigue where you're, you know, you're, you're, you're just tired because you don't get enough sleep and your body's worn out. You can have mental fatigue where your, your brain is overloaded with information. That happens to a lot of people. You can have will fatigue where you're just, there's too many decisions that you have to make in life and you're just overloaded with decisions. If you're overloaded with will fatigue, don't go to the Cheesecake Factory because the menu will send you into blip. Okay, It'll just, ah, too many decisions. But the worst kind of fatigue is soul fatigue. Because soul fatigue is that state where you feel separated from God, separated from yourself, and separated from the things that you love about life in God. And it is really dangerous. The best scenario for the perfectionist is soul fatigue. That's the best scenario. The worst scenario is while perfectionism is not a mental illness, it can lead to some really self-destructive compulsions. So Jesus is looking at this audience, 
And he's talking to people who have leaders who, for example, will criticize Jesus in a matter of moments for healing a man on the Sabbath who was crippled. What kind of religious people criticize someone for healing on the day they should be resting? The guys just got healed. And, and this is the mentality of the religious leaders in that day. They just induced people with guilt and burdens. And Jesus looks at them and he says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. And the word burden he uses again in Matthew 23 when he looks at those religious leaders and he says, you tie people down with burdens too heavy to carry. They took, for example, the Sabbath law and they divided it up into over 600 interpretations that were every bit as authoritative as the Sabbath principle of rest. And for example, you couldn't wear false teeth on the Sabbath. That was against the law because that was carrying a burden. You couldn't wear a pin in your cloak on the Sabbath because that was bearing a burden. It was ridiculous. And many of us are here because we've known of religious movements like that that just, they, they, they wear you down with guilt. And he says, I'll give you, look at this. He says, come to me and I will give you more to do to measure up. Is that what he says? That's not what he says. He says, I will give you rest. Listen to this. What he is saying is, not only will you have a life where I'll provide rest from your work. I'll allow you to live a life where you live out of your rest. Think about that. Some of you, it's been so long since that kind of life was your life, you, you don't even know what that feels like. To live out of a sense of soul rest? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now this is an interesting thing because a yoke, if you don't know this, was the wooden apparatus that bound two oxen together so that they would go down the, the row and dig the furrow together. And so you, you had carpenters who built these yokes for oxen. Jesus, legend says, built the best yokes in Nazareth. You don't know this, Jesus was a carpenter. And there's actually an extra biblical legend that says that Jesus of Nazareth built the best yokes. Well, here's what's fascinating about that. That also became a metaphor for the rabbinic method. And that is every rabbi had their yoke. That was your way to connect to their system of teaching and surrender to that and be yoked together with that rabbi. And Jesus is taking the place of a rabbi and he says, my yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, my yoke is gentle and humble in heart. That's who I am. I'm not going to bully you. One of the worst things about perfectionism is it's the worst bully in the world. It's the bully inside your brain that says you never measure up. It says, my, my yoke, how I will lead with you and do life with you as you learn from me is gentle and humble in heart and you will find soul rest you will find soul rest. My yoke, my system of living is easy and my burden is light. This is an extraordinary claim. It's an extraordinary claim. He says, you yoke your life with mine and your life will be sufficiently resourced for the demands put upon it. You see, soul fatigue is this. Look at this definition of soul fatigue. Soul fatigue is the state that I don't have the soul resources to deal with the demands of my life, the demands of my soul. And the context, especially in the suburbs, of perfectionism around that 
it wears people out. And this is why so many of us walk around in shame because we feel disconnected from God, we feel disconnected from ourselves, and we feel disconnected about, from life. So no wonder people go, I can't connect with God. It's because the, the soul feels so tired. And Jesus, look at these three re- realities. Look at these three realities. He gives an invitation. Every day when you wake up, there's this invitation. I'll give you rest. I'll allow you to form a way, a worldview, a view of yourself, the truth about you, the truth about me, that allows you to live a life not under compulsion, but out of a rested soul. Real interesting. He also then states the point of interaction. Learn from me. Just like a follower of a rabbi, there was a saying among the rabbis, you must follow your rabbi so closely that you are covered in his dust. And as you walk through life so close to Jesus that you are covered in his dust, he says, you'll learn from me. You open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you start studying his life, you'll learn from me. But then look at this, look at this. This is the thing that gets missed about Christ. He reveals the important point of information. My system of teaching which contained information that the people who heard Jesus speak said, we would be crazy not to do what he says. Don't miss that. We tend to spiritualize following Jesus as just a spiritual decision. The the decision to follow Jesus is an intellectual decision. I would be crazy not to do what he says to do. I'd be crazy not to. Jesus passed on information to people that changed the way they thought about their world, about their self, about their God. And this is how he then, by yoking themselves to him, they were connecting to salvation. The word salvation comes from a word that means salve or to heal. And when you, when you surrender your life and you say, I want to be yoked with you, I trust, John would later say that Jesus' commands are not burdensome, therefore you're good. For all of you who think that Jesus is the great party pooper in the sky who's out to ruin your life by making it miserable, you, you don't get it, that his commands are not burdensome, therefore are good. And when you get that information and it changes the way you think, you're on a path to healing. You experience the life of salvation now. So we have this specter of work salvation called perfectionism that is staring all of us in the face. It's killing, it's killing our high school students. I'm telling you, it is killing high school students left and right. High school students are, are entering life with soul fatigue. Why? Because they're not good enough. They're not good enough. They're not good enough. Do you know the average high school student will see 3,000 advertisements a day? Do you know what those, those advertisements are saying? They're saying, you're not thin enough. Your hair's not shiny enough. You're not smart enough. You're not, you're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. And so we come to the day where we want to say, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's take a break here. Let's just hit the pause button. Because your desire to have your soul guided and cared for in this yoked journey with Christ is a legitimate desire. And we want to show you, no matter where you are in life, that there is a way you can get cared for here. So Southbrook, with that in mind, would you welcome to the stage with me our dear friend, Dr. Gary Sweeten, and one of our lay counselors, Mindy Fedotowski. She's going to come up here today with Gary. Would you give them a a warm welcome? So one of the things that many of you know, uh, Gary has been a part of our church for about 10 years, but more than that, he's been a dear, dear mentor to me. And 
hundreds of other leaders in the Cincinnati area in particular, Mindy is one of our 60 or so people who have been trained to be lay pastoral counselors. She was one person at one time who didn't know we have this. Now she is one. Mindy, would you open by telling your story of how you know, five years later, here you are, Randy calls you a rock star in our pastoral lay counseling ministry. Boy, that's a, that's a setup there. And uh, so how did, real quick, yeah, tell yeah, everybody yeah. how this happened. So do you guys remember we did the play series here? Were some of you still here then? And um, I was at that point. I became, was starting to become an empty nester, and I was looking for some more meaning, more a way to plug in. And I, they had all the booths set up in the vestibule of all the different volunteer opportunities. And I, one after another, no, no. No, no, no. And I was just starting to give up on it until I saw the last booth, which was counseling. And I was like, wait a minute. You guys offer counseling? You train people and you provide that? Like, that's something I could do. I had a friend of 25 years, and we had lunch every week. And I knew the value of just having somebody come alongside and listen to you and talk and just process life together. So when I saw that opportunity, I, it, I felt like Cinderella who'd found her missing shoe. It was just a perfect fit for me. Yeah. And so five years later now, you're serving people. Interestingly, Mindy says that 25% of the people she serves are not Southbrookers. This is an amazing resource. I had a gal come up to me after last service, and she said, she's going through a divorce, and she said, I can't afford counseling. Mm -hmm. And she was in tears as she was saying, I can't. I can get some help. I didn't think I could get any help because she couldn't afford it. So again, nothing in life is free. Southbrook, you are paying for that. A fourth of the people that you're serving aren't even a part of the body of Christ here but are getting help. So Gary, here we are today. This audience on spiritual journey levels are, is very diverse. Yeah. And a number of years ago, uh, you broke that down. He's about to show you something, every single one of you, no matter where you are in life, you're on at least one of these levels right now. It can shift, it's fluid, but we are also going to make this available online through Instagram, through fa Facebook, and on our website in the, the detailed fashion. We're just going to show you the highlights right now. So Gary, walk us through these five levels of, of need and problems and pain. Give you a little bit of background. I was uh, trained, I had clinical license uh, to diagnose and treat mental and emotional illness and so forth. And then uh, being an educator, I wanted to train lay people because I saw the impact on the people you train. Plus, there's a lot of good uh, that lay people can do. So I started doing this and I was in Asia training uh, or a course called Hope and Change for Humpty Dumpty. I developed this because they wanted to constantly talk about getting masters and doctors. Before you could do any counseling, you had to become a professional therapist. Now, that's not true, but I needed to communicate that. So what professionals use is a, a diagnostic manual that's 690 pages long, believe it or not. So every, every one of us is in there and every one of us is sick because <clears throat> if you read it, if you study it. So I broke it down into five uh, categories of problems and pain that people might have that would take them to a counselor, pastoral care, or therapist, or even inpatient hospital, which I ran. So here are the five. <clears throat> Type A are the people who have no life uh, interrupting problems. Go, go, go back up to 
level one, guys. Yeah, the, he, it's there. Yeah, you're seeing the next slide. So that one's it's yeah, up level there. one. The level of problem and pain. Type A are people with no life interrupting problems. Now they may have challenges. Uh, they may have problems that come their way, but they're mature enough to bounce back, to have resiliency, to make it in life. But all of us, no matter how mature we are or healthy we are, if crisis comes along, we need to talk with someone. And last April, my wife had cancer surgery, so you can bet we wanted to talk with people, Charlie and other people, and get prayer and, and seek out support systems. So I, I think we're probably... Most of the time, we don't have life-interrupting problems. We're able to handle it on our own. Then type A, that's level one. Level two are people who don't have ongoing chronic issues, but they may have a <coughs> frog in their throat, psychologically speaking, or they may be nearing uh, burnout or soul burnout or, or uh, problem. So before you break down into a cold or a flu, you may want to take some cold ease in a psychological relational issue, that is, go see someone at a lay counseling center or go to a recovery group. Somebody will help you deal with that before you drop down into bad habits and cover it over and over and over. <clears throat> After, uh, and, and if you do that, if you don't pay attention to those little things, you know, the little problems in your, uh, that you might be getting overexhausted or whatever, you can turn that into a real mm -hmm. problem. It spirals down. And we're in all in a culture where we absorb the stress of the culture. Charlie mentioned the kids. I have two grandkids that are teenagers. They're in a culture that is very dysfunctional and stressed out of its gourd, comparing everybody to each other. And if you don't live up to their comparisons, then you're down. So those kids can spiral down, even though they may be pretty healthy, into a level three. So let's go type B. Type B people are those who have ongoing life-interrupting problems. This could be drinking too much, smoking too much, eating too much, maybe anxious, worrying a lot, depressed, conflict in the family, and uh, you can't get out of, not before you ever ready to go to the divorce court, but you're up at that place where you're in a dysfunctional way and you're developing habits to cover up rather than you don't find a place of grace. Maybe you're in a church or in a system that's very perfectionistic and legalistic and beating you down. You need some refreshment. That's the group of people that really will be coming to the lay counselor, the, the recovery groups cancer hope in this church. Those are the, the places you, we already have in this church. Now, if you don't take care of that at that point, you can spiral down to further and really develop ongoing problems that are quite deep that leads you to need outpatient counseling, psychotherapy. Uh, you have to go see a person like myself when I had my license, and, and I did that, and I own a counseling agency that still does that. That's a large number of people in America and growing because they don't find people at that level three and, and two and so forth to help them. But if you get help there, then you don't necessarily have to go on down. The fifth level, those people that are psychotic, they need medication. They need a safe place. They're dangerous to themselves or others. And we don't want to see people have to go to that. We want to support those people so they take their medication, they get the help they need, so they don't have to spiral out of control. So there's five levels. There's probably people living with that themselves or a family member 
all through this congregation. Yeah, you, you have a saying where you say you either have a problem yeah. or Everybody you... has a problem, is a problem, deals with a problem, or makes problems. Yeah, yeah. They all need to see Mindy and her. Yeah. So what we're talking about is especially from levels one to four. Yes. We're, we're here to engage at that intersection of your life. So, Mindy, I would take you to be one of those people that at level one, you said, how can I be useful, right? So how can I be useful? And now you're helping people on, on all four of those uh, levels, those areas. Why do you think this is in such high demand? So here's this era that we're so connected, right? Nobody's lonely now. Whoa, wait, that's not the case. Loneliness is more rampant now than ever before in culture. We're actually more disconnected. You know, I think the greatest gift any of us can give to anyone is to simply listen. And it's a luxury, Charlie, to sit for one whole hour with one or two or three people in front of me and just listen. You'd be surprised how well you develop that skill and can recall information because you're not distracted by a phone or other things. So first and foremost, people just need a safe place where they can talk and be heard and be cared for and prayed for and not judged. I had somebody come up after the last service and she said, I I just, everybody in my life that I would ever talk to had an agenda. (laughs) It's just nice to come to someone who doesn't have an agenda. You don't have a horse in the race, right? I don't have a horse in their race. My people don't know their people. So it's the anonymity, I think, that really makes it powerful, but also just being heard. Confidentiality, there. Right. Don't talk to so if you don't know this, our counseling area is in, our building is totally backwards. So our front is our back and our back is the front. And so the, the counseling area is in the back of our building, which is in the front. And, uh, but there also, there's an entrance there where you literally can come in that counseling entrance and to protect that anonymity. It is yes. so, so critical because it's a very vulnerable step to take that first step into this hell. What kind of issues are you seeing? What, what, what do you see? Because yeah. issues isolate. We think we're the only junior in high school who's going through this, right? We, we're the only one. No, you're not. If it has a name, that means someone else had it. That's right. That's right. So what are you dealing with? So we see children, individuals, couples from all walks of life. And, um, but I will say that it is always someone who the pain has gotten too great, yeah. that their life is no longer working whether it's broken, they need broken, they have brokenness in their own heart or a broken relationship, but they need healing. We also see things that, like grief, you know, people are just grieving the loss of someone or they're struggling with forgiveness or shame or addiction or infidelity. So those are some of the typical issues yeah. that we talk to so people about. People aren't alone. They think they're the only ones going through this stuff, right. and it's a, it's a myth. Well, Gary trained Randy. It was one of those we saw a, a number of weeks ago when, when we talked about that dynamic. And now Randy has trained so many of you. Now you're doing training, uh, which is really cool. Uh, what, on, on that plane, uh, one of the things I love about the method he teaches that now you guys teach is this cognitive method. The strategies to me are so healthy. Tell the church about the strategies of the superpowers mm-hmm. and, and the questions, etc. Well, you know, people have gotten through life pretty well on their own. And so all we kind of do is dust off their superpowers. They're there. They may not realize it. 
So I, I always say, we're, 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 I, what's going well in your life and what's your role in that and how did you do that? And get them to focus on their solution. So it's called solution-based therapy. Um, and inevitably, somewhere in the course of our time together, we cast the vision for success. What would your life be like if that problem that brought you in no longer existed? Mm -hmm. You talked about the miracle question. I mm -hmm. often use that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm a thought facilitator. I'm not an answer provider. You know, I, don't, I don't have the answers. Who am I? I'm just Mindy. But it's their life and getting them to take ownership and to move out of the role of victim to being empowered to find their own solution that's where the healing occurs. And to that extent, what, what for you, now you've been doing this five years and, and it, you were so made for this, what's been most satisfying for you? You know, it's really hard to change your life. You guys know that, right? Anything. It's so hard to change your life. And I've gotten to be at the front row of people who are exerting their courage to change their life in meaningful ways, yeah. to take ownership for their life and to make changes. I have a great example, if you'll indulge me, um, a couple that came in, they were separated and they were very um, at odds with each other and over the six months of our working together, we got both of them to stop pointing fingers at each other and say, we've got a problem, let's solve it together. And they both started owning their role in that healing. And um, I, I was so thrilled when they came in. And it, it really wasn't a counseling session, that session. They came in. Hmm. I said it was a celebration session. We all just kind of celebrated and cried together. But they were giggling and laughing. They'd moved back in together. And they had used their superpowers and yeah. found a way back to one another and re renewed their vows. So that was a real And I think in the blessing. image of today, in that role right there, you're just the farmhand who's who's helping people, you're helping people get linked to the yoke of Christ, yes, the life, absolutely. the life of Christ mm -hmm. that is the true life, the life of grace, mm -hmm. forgiveness. Yep. And I think um, you mentioned cognitive therapy, and it's amazing how many people have been in the church, know Christ for years, know the scripture, do not know Romans 12, 1 and 2, about uh, renewing the mind. Yeah. And cognitive therapy is essentially a secular model that applies that renewing your mind. So teaching him something about uh, the passage of scripture you read, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. They've never, never mm -hmm. applied no. that before, never thought of no. that. So cognitive therapy is helping people think differently, think biblically, yeah. think graciously and mercy according to themselves. As you mentioned, the biggest bully in our life is right here in my own head. So people can change that bully to one that builds a builder instead of a bully and it's actually through learning the scripture and learning to take their own thoughts captive to Christ the mind of Christ and that's liberating it is I love Zig Ziglar used to say we all need a checkup from the neck up to eliminate stinking thinking and really our problem <laughs> is our thinking patterns it really is yeah. we think we have an alcohol problem or a drug problem or a, it's, it's a thinking problem is what is. we have and and, and I, I've been stunned, Randy, as he's equipped you guys, has said, it's unbelievable, these, uh, these qualified people who don't even think they have the tools to be a parent. That's right. And it's like that the culture has convinced us of that. And uh, I'm thankful for you guys, uh, Gary, for your effect on our church, but Mindy, for you and the people you represent. Um, uh, I'm just so thankful because the needs, out, it's not working out there. Have you noticed? The American dream is an illusion. It is, it is a sick 
culture we're a part of. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And everybody here needs to be pastored. It can happen. That ministry is just a doorway into unpacking. We have recovery ministry. You don't have to be a drug addict to be a part of our recovery ministry. Anybody here need to recover from wounding? Right? We have support groups of all kinds. Our men's and women's ministry, what Frank Crockett I know is doing in the men's ministry to help men look at the baggage that they brought into their life. And before they ever start trying to live like Christ, they got all this baggage they got to get rid of. And Frank's doing an amazing job helping men unpack their baggage. And it's all, it's not a bunch of psychobabble. The word, the word psychology comes from sukos, which means soul. Psychology is the study of the soul. It was originally a Christian discipline. It was started with Christians. And we want you to know that your need to be pastored is a legitimate need. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, this healing that has to take place, we believe, is found unequivocally, unashamedly in Jesus Christ. I, I truly believe that his message of grace, that he is our sufficiency in our brokenness and imperfection, is totally the healing balm for the world. And next weekend, we're going to conclude this series. The whole series has been pointing to what then about excellence? If I'm a recovering perfectionist, isn't excellence like a drunk working at a bar? Right? I mean, it's like I'm putting myself in a context that's dangerous here. And we're going to talk about that. Because as you know, we dis- we, it's one of our core values. We think excellence means we care. It honors God and it, and it inspires people. Half-hearted efforts, there's nothing spiritual about putting a mediocre effort out. And so I want to transition to that today because it's such an important weekend for you to understand our church and for understand yourself because many of you work in professions where you've got to be excellent, right? You can't just throw it out there. Last winter, we had something happen on a Saturday night here. We were in a series, and in that series on that particular weekend, we were talking about the power of love over fear. And we closed that service with a sing-along of a Beatles song called All You Need Is Love. Anybody ever heard that song? Anybody remember that weekend? Yeah, so we had the gazoos and what are the kazoos? Uh, the, the, and all that. Well, our keyboardist that day, Daniel Miller, on Saturday night, screwed up royally. There's just no nice way to say it. And it's an amazing story. So look at the first iteration of the Later Than Most show here as we look at Daniel telling his story of that horrid Saturday night this winter. Take a look. From Southwick Studios in the heart of Dayton, Ohio, this is the Later Than Most shows starring Levi Crowley. Tonight, Daniel Miller joins Levi as his special guest. And now here he is, Levi Crowley! You guys are excited. Yes. I'm feeling it. Uh-huh. Finger guns. Okay. Welcome to the very first episode of the Later Than Most Show. I'm your host, Levi. Uh, I want to hear from our live audience tonight. Woo, woo, woo! Thanks, Mom. Let me introduce you to the band for the evening. And now my faithful sidekick. Leroy! 
As you can tell, I'm excited about our show tonight, and I'm even more excited about our very imperfect guest. Let's get on with the show. Please welcome special guest Daniel Miller. Daniel, good to have you here. Thanks. Thanks. You know what you're here for, right? Well, you want somebody to talk about the most embarrassing, humiliating experience of their life. Exactly. <laughs> and I thought that sounds like a lot of fun. Here you are. Yeah. I say we dig right in, but first we need to give a little context. Yeah, sure. Uh, you are a member of the Southbrook Worship Arts team. I am. What do you play? Play piano, keys. Yeah. Uh, this is my favorite part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So what I'm going to do, Charlie is setting up this moment live. We're all on stage. There's a large audience. And I'm just going to play a little bit and we're going to talk. All right. Well, let's take a deep breath. Here we go. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is All love. You need the Beatles classic. Is love. Are you ready to have a little Southbrook sing-along? Mm. Huh? Are you ready? He's this. really teeing Let's it up this. for us. Yeah. Starts with the piano, comes in with the singer, so it's just the two of us. There's nothing you can do that can't be done. And John comes in, everything seems okay at this point. There's nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the Until, game. until very soon. Right here. Yeah. Oh, I don't even know. Do I have to do this? Nothing you can make that can't be made. No one you can save that you can't be saved. Mm. We're gonna start this over, guys. Let's do it the right way. So that was just a preview. Yeah, that was uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> really bad. So we're feeling it with you. Oh, I just feel it for you so, so much. So now it feels like everything's unraveling. Everything's unraveling. And I couldn't continue because it wasn't the right sound. Something happened with the knobs. I couldn't hardly think at this point. Oh, I can, the blood is still. So right here. Oh, that's the worst moment. This was me living in my personal hell in front of about a thousand people. Hell in church. Yes. That's what you're feeling. Yes. But you've got this face. Like what the... There's yeah. nothing you can do that can't be done. A little rocky. Nothing you can sing that... Yeah. In fact, you know, the, the song goes very, very well. And uh, we have everybody singing along with us. There's... Kazoo's. Oh, yeah, yeah, the kazoos. Yeah. Which were even more awkward at this point than they already were to begin with. We really did get back on slowly, track. Slowly recovered. Now, do you remember what Charlie says? Oh, absolutely. It'll stick in my brain for the rest of my life. Yeah. That was really rough. That was really rough. I will never forget that moment. <laughs> yeah, those words are echoing for eternity yes. in all of our minds. So I raced out that door, passed everybody. I didn't want to say anything to anyone, went to my car, let out quite a few choice words, and stormed home as quickly as I could. When you got back on the stage the next day, you showed that 
effort matters more than perfection. Yeah. I decided to, to make this into something that would be beneficial to my son. My son struggles significantly with the fear of failure, being doing things wrong in front of people. And so I wanted to share the experience with him and let him see his dad respond to it. So ladies and gentlemen, please give a big hand to Daniel Miller and thanks. And we'll see you next week on the Later Than Most show. So next weekend is very, very pivotal as we, as we, you know, we delve into this reality of uh, where are the lights. I know I'm in, sitting in the dark. <laughs> They're pulling a trick on me now. Yeah, there we go. So I want to show you something on the screen. I meant to show this the other services. The difference between an imperfectionist and a perfectionist. Charlie, can you show that? Actually, Charlie's on the slides this weekend. So an imperfectionist is someone who see and accept themselves as gracefully imperfect, which makes any and all success something to be treasured. So even when we fail, we, we can tr treasure that, and when we succeed, we can treasure that. But perfectionists, perfectionists see and reject themselves against impossible idealism, which makes any and all success something to be trashed. It's never good enough. Well, grace is what allows your trash to become a treasure. And I want to tell you the other side of the story that Daniel did not tell you, that turns a moment that he would love to be trashed forevermore into a moment that was transformational and treasured in his family lineage for a long time. And here's what happened. That night, he went home. And as he said, Caden struggles a lot with the fear of failing in front of people. It's a true uh, basis of anxiety for Caden. And part of that came out of when he was in kindergarten, they were doing the hokey pokey in class, and he was the only kid while doing the turnaround, the hokey pokey. He fell down, hit his head on a desk, and just blood spurted from this gash on, right above his eyebrow. And uh, he was embarrassed, and it just embedded in him this fear of messing up in front of people. Well, Daniel comes home that night after this night that he would love to forget about, uh, we thought we had lost Daniel forever, to be quite honest. We did. Like, like the F-bombs are still smelling the, over the, the, the North parking lot here. You can still smell the residual of the F-bombs that exploded over our exit. I mean, we thought, we've lost Daniel. And, I, and I, his family is very dear to me. And I, it's just, this was awful. So he goes home. That night, Caden asked him, so dad, how was your day? And Daniel, knowing what Caden struggles with, he goes, well, honey, I made a big mistake in front of a lot of people. A big mistake. And, and, and it, it scarred me. It scarred me. Now, knowing Daniel has this scar, he goes, he goes as a matter of fact, I have a scar on the inside. But tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back there and I'm going to try to do it right two more times. I'm going to lean into my fear. I'm not going to allow my fear to win. And so that next, so Daniel said, he, he said that to Caden so that he would be held accountable, that he would actually come back Sunday morning and be here. We didn't think, did I say that? We didn't think Daniel was coming back. We thought he's not coming back. Well, he came back. He did it. He did it flawlessly. Two services, which I don't know if you know how hard that is. It's amazing. 
Caden is in the atrium and sees his dad pull that off. And after the last service, after this service, he comes in and he gives his dad a big hug around his, you know, his legs. He gives him a big hug around his legs. And he says, Dad, I know what you did today. I know what you did. You beat Voldemort today. <laughs> he, yeah, he goes like that. He said this. He said, you know, like my scar is like Harry Potter's scar. And Voldemort, out of fear, killed Harry's parents, but, and Harry could have been afraid, but that that scar became the way that Harry tapped into his courage. And Voldemort is like fear. And today, your scar, you beat Voldemort. You beat fear. Way to go, Dad. Isn't that cool? Now, here's, here's the other layer of that. That whole weekend was about, the worship songs that weekend were about the love of God can overcome your fears. And Daniel said, it was the most amazing worship experience I've ever had in my life. As leaning into that fear, having made a huge mistake in front of, it was uncomfortable watching the video of it, wasn't it? <laughs> Did you feel the cringe factor? Yeah, just watching the video. You can't imagine. Every one of us wanted to just, you know, not watch that. And love one. An excellence, a life of excellence is about letting love win. A life of perfectionism is about letting fear win. And you'll never win. Amen? Amen. So come back next week and bring a friend. It'd be a great weekend to bring a friend as we talk about what excellence really is and how it is the way that is easy and the burden is actually light when we understand that even our trash is something that God can treasure and turn into something that changes lives. Isn't it cool? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our day. And we thank you for our church. We want to be a healing place. And we give our lives to you to be just that. We thank you for Gary. We thank you for Mindy. And the people they represent that are throughout this place and this community to help be agents of your salvation, your healing. Because there's no other name under heaven given among men and women by which we must be saved than the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. Southbrook, let's give it up for Gary and Mendy and their service today. We'll see you next week for part five of this series. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.